What is something you've you'd like to see more of in the cyber market? What do you think we don't have enough of today? I think we are not doing enough around helping small and uh, small medium clients buy the product. I think we should find ways to help everybody around the world buy the product. I think that people came out of the COVID understanding that the intangible assets that they have now are much more important than the tangible assets that they have. Uh, they uh, fully value the fact that connectivity is probably the most important thing they have. Do you want to hear about the latest developments in the cyber market and learn best practices and thought leadership from cyber insurance and security experts? We talk all things cyber insurance industry, international growth, cyber claims and more. Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Insurance Leaders Podcast. Good afternoon um, and welcome to the show, uh, Shai Simkin. Uh, great to have you on. I'm really excited to, to talk about a lot of the things that, that um, you can share with us. Um, I'd like to uh, really quickly, let me, let me kind of open the floor and let you introduce yourself, your company, your team, etc. Anything you want to introduce and we'll go. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me and, and good afternoon from Tel Aviv, Israel, which is probably quite odd in your uh, podcast. Uh, so I'm Shai Simkin. I'm the, I'm the global head of uh, cyber for Howden. A few words about Howden. Howden is a, uh, an international broker based out of uh, London. We operate in uh, 45 countries around the world. Um, started as a specialist broker and uh, grew very quickly over the years. So uh, uh, an interesting company to, to work for. Uh, my role as global head of cyber is, is basically to oversee the growth of the product in, in the Howden world. And uh, in Howden, we think that uh, cyber is a, a very important product uh, for us globally. Uh, it's a growth engine, uh, and uh, as such, I took the role in 2019. Uh, and now my job is anything from product development, uh, education, recruitment of uh, people in different places around the world, uh, overlooking uh, strategic clients, doing tenders, and anything that can help my people around the world uh, grow and, uh, and and serve the clients that they have. Okay, so you, um, you mentioned around the world. Are there any geographies in particular that you focus on as Howden? Yes, yeah, so we, we don't operate directly in the U.S., uh, which is uh, um, interesting because it's the largest insurance market, but we decided when we build a business to uh, to do everything outside of the U.S. So um, I mostly uh, concentrate in other parts of the world. Uh, we do do business out of the U.S., but it's mainly serving wholesalers in the U.S. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because that's almost identical to my original idea. When we launched this company, I thought, well, you know, the international cyber market, it's more exciting. There's more variation you know, um, it's growing faster, obviously, from a smaller base. I thought, we'll just focus on that. We'll be the international IR provider. But the U.S. market is so huge. Like, it's just this gravity that pulls you into it. And now we do so much in the U.S., but it wasn't the plan, I'll be honest. 
the, uh-huh. the rest of the world is an interesting uh, place and, uh, yeah. and so much to be done there and it's so exciting to uh, to move around the Howden offices and uh, and see the different cultures and the different people in the different uh, and and the needs of clients and how to sell the product and how mm-hmm. to adjust to the uh, uh, local market so we have really a, a diff- different different uh, uh, types of clients in, in, in different places around the world, which gives me, a, I think, a good overview of what the cyber market looks uh, like outside the U.S. Mm. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so just in terms of client size, then I, I like to ask that question, you know, what size of clients do you focus on and or what sectors or particular sectors you like? Yeah, so I think looking at the Howden world where it's very different. So in some places around the world, we will be serving mainly uh, mid-sized clients or smaller clients, but in different parts of the world, we'll have the very large clients. So it's really anything from anything and everything. So okay. uh, you could be dealing with a small law office or an engineer with, you know, 10 people or 15 people buying the product and with a large shipping company or financial institution or big retailer. So it's really everything and anything. And then I, the last sort of introductory question I like is, is what do you consider your company's strength when it comes to cyber? Yes, I, th- I think, first of all, it's the, it's the Howden DNA. It's us being a, a, a specialist broker. That's where we started as a specialist broker, uh, doing mainly DNO and PI in, in our beginning. So it, it, the, the product fits very well, our, our DNA. And I think that the, the, the thing that I have put a lot of emphasis over the years is creating a very uh, unique team of people uh, that is very focused in what they do. Uh, they are, I call them cyber champions, because mm-hmm. I think that uh, it, it's it's very different when you wake up in the morning and all you do is cyber and you don't do tech PI or you don't do uh, other products or you don't do DNO or casualty or liability. So you're a true cyber champion. And, and, and I think that the offering that we give our clients, which is unique is we don't, I always tell people, we don't sell a cyber policy. We sell a process, which is very different. So it's a, it's, it's a term I, I use a lot uh, uh, lately, but I, I, I think that this is a continuous broking approach. So it's anything from bringing the client to make sure that he has the right controls in place and hygiene and speaking uh, with the CISOs and the tech people and, and making sure that uh, uh, that he is the uh, uh, best looking bride before uh, he comes in front of the underwriters. And then, of course, mm-hmm. uh, placing the policy, uh, which is a, a, an interesting task in the last few yeah. years. And then, of course, serving the client, uh, onboarding the client, and uh, things maybe we can talk a little bit more later uh, in the podcast. Okay. But it's a, it's a continuous broking approach. Okay. Well, you know, actually, that transitions super well into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you know, you've been doing this for, you know, a very long time now. Um, you know, 20 years at Howden and, you know, the things you were doing before that, that we were talking about. Um, so the question I like to ask, you know, what I'd like to ask is um, what makes a good broker? What kind of skills do they need? What do they need to be doing? And you've kind of talked a little bit about it, but maybe go. Yeah, I, I really, I really love this because I think that uh, 
to start with a question like that, it's uh, it's it's great because I I'm very opinionated about what mm. a cyber what a cyber broker should be, and I think we are uh, bringing into the the market a new type of uh, of insurance brokers, and uh, and I think part of our job uh, as the older people in in, in the industry is first to make sure that the people that are coming into this industry or the brokers, the cyber brokers that will come into the industry will have a, a different set of skills. It's mm-hmm. not enough to just uh, know insurance and understand policy wording and exclusions and uh, and to make sure that you talk around insurance. It, it, you, you need a different skill. And, and, and the skill is to be... Uh, bilingual it's basically to speak two languages it's to speak the tech language yeah. and to speak the insurance language and to speak them both fluently so when you're in a room with 10 IT specialists you have to feel very comfortable around them that you speak the same language uh, and i think that a, a good cyber broker is one that uh, can feel comfortable around IT people and can feel comfortable around insurance people and can serve a, a client when they have a claim. So I think it's a different type of, of brokers. I know that some of my peers in the industry don't think the same. I think that some people, and there's a discussion, uh, do cyber brokers need to uh, to be tech literate? Do they really need to know uh, that reducing uh, the amount of service account uh, is good for the client and why is it good for the client mm-hmm. or what does it mean to have MFA around the privilege accounts and all these type of things that we are doing today or mm-hmm. well, they just need to know insurance and get the uh, all the tech part to, to bring in engineers, to bring in third party uh, people that uh, that's their job to do it. But I, I think that this is totally not what I'm building in the Howden world. In the Howden world, uh, my people around the world have to be really tech literate and know the uh, uh, um, insurance and the technology um, at the same level. That's an interesting one. You know, I think once you get to a certain level of complexity, it's probably really hard to do that for the very largest clients um, just because they're going to have such complex environments and even the individuals on the other side aren't really going to know what's going on. But I think it is, I think it's very useful to understand both sides of it. And I would say from my perspective, coming the opposite way, it's been really beneficial for me to learn a lot about insurance. Um, somebody that I worked with at KPMG, you know, that was one of their big recommendations they made to me, which was, you know, years ago, which was basically, listen, you need to learn the insurance stuff if you're going to operate in the industry. Like you need to learn the language, you need to learn how it works. And... I think it's been super useful for me to kind of get both sides. So I, I, I really agree with that. I think it's hard. You've got to at least know to some level. I, th- I think it's, it's, it's even more than some level. I think that you really need to be a, 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 a true specialist in what you do. Yeah. I remember, I remember when I started my, my insurance career, I met many, many years ago, a, a guy, and that's something that goes with me all my life and all my career. And he told me, uh, if you want to be a, a world expert in something, mm. uh, you need to spend at least an hour a day uh, reading a specific subject. And okay. in five years, if you spend an hour a day after five years, you become a world expert. 
and and that was my and that was my goal when when I started doing technology and, and insurance back in the nineties when uh, when the internet came around here and uh, started looking at what are the risks that the uh, um, uh, companies moving into the uh, web will have and yeah. uh, and ever since then I spent uh, mm. at least an hour a day reading nothing about insurance just reading about my specific subject which is technology understanding what technology is what it is going to uh, to do to us and that's what i tell my people in, in in if you spend an hour a day just reading and understanding the world around you and focus in one specific thing uh, you will become an expert and and i think that we need to be experts if we mm -hmm. want to bring value to our clients and not just value by giving them the right level of risk or the right level of cover or, or the best price in the market, but really want to bring to them value. Uh, we need to be them, uh, with them uh, in the process of buying the policy and getting the, the, the right level of hygiene controls in place then placing it. And then, of course, holding their hands once they have a, a claim and helping them get back to business as soon as possible. It's interesting that how you you know went about that and, and kind of jumped into it. At um, I, I definitely like that approach. Um, I probably spent far too much time myself in 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 school trying to learn things. I just I like the structured structured learning. I I have a harder time just sort of picking up on my own. But um, it is um, yeah, that sort of commitment to education and, and really becoming an expert in something that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think especially in cybersecurity. Uh, between the cybersecurity world and the insurance world, there's definitely a gap. And I think it it creates lots of issues at different times. Um, and kind of on that topic, transitioning to the to 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 sort of the next part, um, it's sort of a lot of what's going on around war exclusions. People, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, and has a potential for impact, you know, on the on the cyber insurance market. I think a lot of people are accepting, you know, um, some of it seems to be confusion. You know, people don't necessarily aren't necessarily hearing things in the same way depending on their background um but i thought you know with the with the impact on the market potential impact on the market i wanted to get your thoughts on it and what you're seeing yeah so i first of all maybe i will surprise you but i think that anything that brings clarity to clients is a positive thing mm -hmm. i think that a lot of the time uh, shades of gray uh, are are counterproductive, and uh, we needed to clarify uh, what is a war exclusion and what mm -hmm. is covered and what is not covered uh, under a, 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 a cyber policy. I think that we owe to our clients to clarify that, mm -hmm. and that's a positive thing that happened uh, over the last year and the uh, new LMA. Uh, endorsements that are coming in, I think that they will give, on one hand, more clarity to clients, uh, what is covered and what is not covered. One thing that uh, I am, uh, I would say, again, uh, being very opinionated about is uh, the attribution part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of the uh, new wordings that is, is coming out, uh, in my mind, was uh, built or written uh, for larger clients in mind, and uh, and uh, and maybe when they uh, uh, phrased it or wrote it or whatever, 
uh, they forgot that they that there are out there a lot of uh, small clients and and small medium clients uh, that cannot wait for the insurer uh, um, to actually say to to allocate attribution uh, to the event. And what I mean by that is one of the most difficult things in cyber. Uh, is to attribute a, a specific event to a state. It can be a, a state-sponsored event, but it can be a, a group acting from the territory. Uh, one of the things about about cyber weapons is they are silent. Uh, and because the cyber war has been going on for years under the radar and countries are using cyber weapons uh, in many ways, uh, one of the most difficult things would be to attribute it to a specific country or specific, uh, and and that leaves us with a big question mark around what small clients or small medium clients or even large clients what would they do until uh, attribution will be uh, allocated? Uh, will they have their incident response paid? Will they have yeah. their legal expenses paid? The PR, the negotiation. Or will they have to wait for two, three years uh, in court until attribution will be decided by the court? And I'm not sure that they will be there in two, three years to even pick the uh, uh, the, the claim uh, uh, payment. So I think that we really need to think about, um, again, how uh, do we clarify this point uh, with, with our clients? Because I think that uh, most countries or most uh, um, um, will not come out and say, yes, we initiated this as a, mm-hmm. as a, a state-sponsored event or whatever. And that leaves a very, very big gap that I think we need to, to our commitment to our clients is to make sure that it is worded in a way that uh, the burden of proof will remain with the insurer. But until they uh, prove it, then all the rest of the payments will be uh, done by the insurance company. Yeah, I sometimes I, I try to think about, is there a solution to that? Because, you know, I've been involved in discussions on this and I pay a lot of attention to it. And I'd love to just be able to give some kind of advice to somebody and say, well, here's the easy answer. I don't I don't know if there is any easy answer. I, I really see what you're saying in terms of if there's any uncertainty in the claims process or if there's delays then, then that can put somebody out of business. Just literally, they, you know, they weren't running for a week. You know, there was nobody to help them because the insurance wouldn't pay for it, and you know, they they couldn't pay for it or whatever. Um, and it could create a lot of a lot of really like negative effects after. Do you like? What, do you have any other thoughts? I mean, you mentioned a little bit. But do you have any other thoughts in terms of you know what's the answer on that? I think as an industry, uh, we should uh, we should pay our clients first. Okay. So uh, we we should pay at least the direct costs around the event. So um, when a client calls us up and says, you know, that we have an event, of course, one of the best things that we have been doing over the last few years is managing claims for clients. And I know that uh, clients are amazed by the way that the industry is handling claims, and uh, and they are it's, it, it it is the greatest thing about cyber insurance so paying of course mm-hmm. the the direct cost the incident response the legal the pr uh, whatever is, is something that we need to do 
um, without even thinking and maybe find some ways for the client to, uh, if, if in two, three or four years, there will be a, a final a decision by court or by somebody else that this was emanating from a state-sponsored event, then perhaps we will find ways to reimburse the insurer for that. Uh, but I think we have to do that as an industry uh, because we cannot leave this mm-hmm. uh, open for our clients not to know that at least that they are covered. And then yeah. I, sh- I should think, you know, the business interruption issue takes much longer and hopefully uh, attribution will be allocated uh, yeah. in the months after. But if not, if it goes to court, then yeah. yes. It, yeah, you know, it's uh, my feeling on it just from the conversations I'm having so far. I think the actual application will be extremely rare. Um, just just from what, you know, knowledgeable people have told me and, and kind of the conversations I've had. Um but the uncertainty will be there if it's not handled in the right way. And so, so you might have 10 of these things where people are saying, well, is this, is this something we need to worry about? Is this something where it might not get paid? And, you know, maybe out of those 10, maybe one will end up actually being something. Um, my understanding so far is just the, the level of impact that needs to be there. The, you know, which is, I, I, I understand, you know, sort of defined, you know, country by country, but it's, you know, sort of a, a level of detrimental impact to the functioning of a state is a very high level. So you're really unlikely to get one of these to stop your claim. It's actually the uncertainty of it that is the problem to really focus on. Which which I, yeah. I, I I totally get it. And we you know we we want cyber insurance to be around like you know in two hundred or three hundred years like our yeah. uh, our other types of and uh, and and we want this to be sustainable for the long term. And definitely would we do not want to cover a, a war declared or not declared, but we we uh, and 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 state sponsored events like NotPetya uh, that we know now, or, or the uh, uh, the precautions of the first day of the war, the uh, the Ukraine Russian war. Of course, these are examples mm. that that it's quite clear that you know cover should not be there, but there yeah. will be many many uh, uh, there will be many, and I know sometimes uh, clients are. In different parts of the world, which is interesting, are quite happy to to blame a state or a group on the event mm. because they don't want to blame themselves for not investing enough uh, money on cybersecurity. And yeah. it's always uh, for the brand protection part of it. It's better to blame it on somebody else, right? Which is not right in, in, in any way. It's it's uh, something that. Uh, very attribution. I have spoken to so many experts in the industry. You know, Israel yeah. is is a is is a big cyber hub, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sitting in a very good ecosystem uh, to talk to a lot of people uh, about this. And all the experts I've spoken to, people that have been dealing with this for decades, tell me that attribution is almost impossible. And if mm-hmm. if there will be uh, nobody's gonna uh, actually come out and say exactly the way that they uh, uh, they reversed engineer it to know that it came out of a certain country or a certain group in in that mm-hmm. country. Yeah. Even if they go to court, these are things that are kept uh, well uh, in 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 those uh, dark places where they don't want to come out and say how exactly they came to the conclusion that it came from that yeah. area. Yeah. Um... No, it's a great point. Like attribution is extremely difficult. And the ones that are really, really good at it are doing it 
a lot of times using sort of means and methods, I guess they call it, that they're not going to share with you because that's, you know, super high end stuff. And they've done something really high tech government, you know, services kind of thing. I, I think, you know, despite all the conversation around or exclusion, I think, and what's going on at Lloyd's, and I think what what's happening, you know, in, in other markets a bit too. I, I think it's it's actually a good thing to keep talking about it because I think everybody, <clears throat> people just, it's hard to get people's attention. It's hard to get people to remember, or they may have a bias in one way or not. And I think just kind of talking through it, like I know from my perspective, I feel like I'm learning all the time in the yeah. conversations I've had with people on it. And we have to keep uh, we have to keep in, in mind that. Uh, the cyber product is is even though you know we started writing uh, or doing cyber in in the mid 90s it's mm. not until the uh, i would say 2013 2014 that the, the product really actually was uh, was starting to be sold around the world mm-hmm. and so in terms of you know we're infants we are not yeah. even crawling yet we just uh, we were just born and we can make mistakes and we can correct the mistakes and we can discuss things that are not uh, because the cake is totally not baked yet. Yeah, and that's that's the most interesting part of this product is that uh, we are lucky enough to be in that age where we can really affect uh, how the the shaping of the product will be, how the underwriting, the broking, many things that are still not totally settled. So it's a it's a positive thing, as I mm-hmm. said. You know, when we started talking about the uh, work solution, it's positive uh, to get that clarity. But we need to close those holes uh, that we don't leave uncertainty with our clients. From from that, you know, what is something you've you'd like to see more of in the cyber market? What do you think we don't have enough of today? I I, th- I think we are not uh, doing enough around a. Helping small and uh, small medium clients buy the product. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think we should find ways to help everybody around the world buy the product. I think that people came out of the COVID understanding that the intangible assets that they have now are much more important than the tangible assets that they have. Mm. Uh, they uh, fully value the fact that connectivity is probably the most important thing they have. You know, we worked uh, for months in some places uh, over two years away from our offices, and yet we managed to to continue to run the businesses. So I think it's quite clear to everybody today that cyber insurance has to be part of every insurance program in the world. Having said that, when you come to a mid-sized clients or small clients and tell them, look, this is the baseline and you need to have these 12 controls in place. And by the way, you need to do it in no time if you want to buy the policy um, mm-hmm. because it does take time to implement EDRs. It does take time to connect to a SimSoc. It does take time to do everything and then ask them 400 questions, even though they are a small law office or a mid-sized a manufacturer and make it really, really difficult for them to buy mm-hmm. the policy. I think we should get better in 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 doing this. And then the second thing I think we should be better in is now that we have created a, some kind of a threshold uh, that you know people that want to buy the policy have to reach some kind of a threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we should find a way to link between 
companies doing uh, above what is needed. So linking between the investment that they're making into cybersecurity and not necessarily the premiums that they're paying. I, I know that, you know, we want to keep the uh, cyber market stable, but we can, in a way, link it to the limits of liability that they're getting. We can link it to the deductible that they have, to the sublimits in some places that they have. So we must find a way to link between investments that a company is doing way and above the uh, threshold and 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 the reward that they're getting. If we can get that right, yeah, I think the company will have a, a a big incentive to go way and above the threshold, and uh, we know that uh, they are being rewarded for that. Okay, yeah, that's um, well, I, I guess I'm always in agreement when it comes to um, I guess a, a lot of what you said, simplifying the application process, making it simpler, only answering like sometimes some of the questions we answer when I'm applying for insurance are a bit. I want to argue over them. Like, do you really need that? Is that really the question to ask? Um, or, um, you know, the other side of that is is really encouraging. And, and I'm passionate about encouraging the risk management adoption and just getting people to to be really strong, you know, spend a lot of effort on the security side of it in a smart way, uh, you know, and then get rewarded on that on the insurance side. Um, so, yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so just, I guess... Speaking of kind of the other side of that, kind of the claim side. Uh, so from a broker's perspective, what would you say is the most important thing in a claim service? I think, first of all, that uh, our industry has done a fantastic job in, in, in serving our clients and paying claims over the years. And that's very, very positive. Uh, what I tell clients, I think that uh, the most effective thing that they can do uh, is prepare for the day of a claim uh, because it will happen one day. And uh, I know there is some people say, well, tabletop exercises, well, they're not really effective. I, I think that that it's probably in my mind uh, the best dollar you can put right now in cybersecurity apart from you know getting all controls in place because it generates the aim of a tabletop exercise is is not the exercise itself, but the uh, the uh, outcome of the exercise. So the takeaways that you that you come out with. And I think one of the things I've been involved in in many tabletop exercises uh, over the year. It first of all creates a a, a, a language between the board and the, the CEO and then the CIO and the uh, CISO and the legal and HR and everybody in that uh, war room or, 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 or room where the claim would be managed. So first of all, they start, you know, knowing exactly what they need to address because remember, the, you know, it's the first time that they are confronted with such a crisis and it's a crisis which is not a technological crisis at all. Mm -hmm. It's a cross company crisis. It affects everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can have a manufacturer that uh, has uh, six factories around the world. One of them is burned. It won't kill the company. But in a cyber event can definitely a situation, a crisis situation where a company would not be able to go back to business after an event like that. They need to really understand when you put everybody under that pressure and, and, mm -hmm. and let them understand what a day of a claim, 
what type of decisions they would need to take in, in, in a claim event, I think that they start realizing, well, this is something very different from the day-to-day -day events or crises that we've had in the company. And the outcome of, an, a, 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 of a tabletop exercise like that would be, okay, so let's try and make sure that we know exactly who the incident responders are. Mm -hmm. let's, let's maybe engage with them before. Uh, let's even sign an NDA with them because we won't have any time during a crisis to even negotiate uh, mm -hmm. an NDA with them. Let's, let's make sure that we know exactly, are they going to be on-site, off-site, and then moving into the legal, so we operate in different countries around the world. Do we know who the lawyers will be? Are they experts mm -hmm. in privacy? Would they know exactly? Can we prepare a letter to the uh, uh, can we prepare a letter to the uh, uh, employees telling them what is happening? Can we prepare a letter to third parties? So there's so many takeaways that uh, that uh, you can take, and I think you know, you Americans say that uh, you know practice makes perfect. So it's yeah. actually practice does make perfect and you learn so much out of that so really preparation preparation yeah. and then everything is around that when you prepare for it you know you need to know where you keep your logs and have a, a have a cyber protocol that you can have even if your computers are not working uh, there's so many things i could talk around claim but i think that's really um, yeah. preparing for a day of a claim is essential for every client yeah, I uh, definitely agree with that. And I, I, um, I, I like the statement that it's, it is the process and it's the sort of the thinking that goes on after it. Um, you know, even if it's a different kind of incident, like even if you sort of prep for this thing over here and this thing over here is actually what happened. Like the fact that you, you sort of prepped your mind for it, like, right. Okay. You know, maybe this is different or that's different, but you thought it through, you know, and at least a lot of parts of it will have been, Will have been you know thought through and done and you know practiced for so. You know, I had I, I I've dealt over many claims in in the last two two years and one one of the things I remember is one CEO of a very large company uh, telling me uh, in the end of a, a of a claim he said you know I'm I've been I've been in CEO of this company for for over twenty years. And I, yeah. I take, I take hundreds of decisions sometimes every day, but these are decisions I know exactly how to take because I've done that before and I have the knowledge yeah. and over 20 years I've in, in this type of situation where, where I was confronted with, I didn't know what kind of decisions to take. I really needed the expertise of, of the people around me, the expertise of the insurance industry, the broker, the, the people in the room that went through these type of claims to really come and say, don't do that because the yeah. outcome of doing something like that can mean that, uh, and he said that was probably something that I really, really learned from, from that uh, CEO that we can have a detrimental effect on how a claim is handled. Us can, yeah. as, as brokers with the knowledge, not just brokers, but the, the industry, has so mm -hmm. much knowledge around managing claims that yes. if we know how to bring it at the right moment to the right people, mm -hmm. this is very valuable to them and they will really appreciate it. I, I think brokers and underwriters have a lot to contribute on that because it's, it's not common for most people, unless you're working in an incident response company to have, you know, or, a, you know, a breach coach law firm or, or, or a, a company that deals with a lot of incidents or, or claims. It's not common 
to have dealt with a lot of them. Even if you're an incident response expert inside of a company, you know, you're a large enough company to have an IR team. Like they're not going to have the same kinds of like big incident experience. You know, hopefully you don't, you aren't having big incidents every other day. So, um, or, or a small company having any incident at all. I think it's, um, you know, the expertise in terms of like what you said, the, the what not to do um, and the impact, the financial impact. That's where I think brokers and underwriters are so good is, is my view on it is, listen, if you do this, it's going to be a lot more expensive than doing that. So exactly. it's, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of value and and especially as the companies get bigger, they start to forget or they stop wanting to listen to what the insurance company is saying or the broker is saying. And, and I really, I think that's a mistake. I, I believe that for a long time. There's a lot of value there. So just in terms of Howden, uh, it's really interesting, like just looking at numbers, you know, how much Howden's grown since you've been there, like over the, the last uh, 20 or so years. Um, you know, it's pretty fantastic. What would you say just in terms of, of metrics or numbers that you look at? What do you pay close attention to? What's most important to you? Yeah, so it's uh, it's really growing on steroids. Sometimes it's uh, you know when I when I joined Howden, I I joined Howden in two thousand and three. Uh, it was quite a young company. We were two hundred and eighty people around the world, and it was a, a very different company. As 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 I said, it was a very much a, a niche product and a specialist in in certain types of of products. And I think. What I've learned over the years, and really, you know, now we are 13,000 people and in, in many places around the world, is is the fact that you need to uh, to still wake up in the morning with the hunger for growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe because we are constructed in such a way that, uh, that we are employee-owned insurance broker, uh, that, uh, that we still wake up in the morning and we still... You know, when I go to to work every day, I feel that I'm going to my business. Yeah. Uh, the, the hunger needs to be there, and 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 in order to maintain growth at this level, uh, you need to um, check every day with your people: uh, Are mm-hmm. we doing it right? Uh, are we hitting the numbers? Uh, if, okay. Because if we're not doing it, then what are we doing wrong? You have to have a lot of ambition uh, for growth. And that's uh, one of the things that I try to do with my teams in, in different places around the world is, is to set high goals mm, okay. and, and, and not to settle for mediocre goals or reachable goals, but really big goals that, you know, we will have to stretch ourselves uh, to get there. And and we stretch ourselves every day, and that's exciting. It's exciting, yeah. you know. I've I've been so long in this business. I still wake up every morning. I'm super excited uh, about what we do and and the work, and and uh, we celebrate wins, and we get really really sad when we lose, and we are very emotional about our business, and that's things that I think that if you do it over the years, uh, it will get you where you want to go. So earlier you talked about. Howden and and being a really uh, a global broker and and being very focused on international cyber market. How do you see the cyber market going forward developing on the international internationally? So right now, I think that apart, I'm leaving the U.S. Um, because my knowledge there is limited. Uh, but I think where we are concentrating right now is Europe. 
Uh, we see the market in Europe growing uh, very much. It's you know anything from Germany uh, to Spain to the Nordics to France to Italy to Greece. Yeah. So these are the type of places that we are investing heavily in in getting more people and growing the book. I think that the buying. Uh, people are buying in in those countries. They fully understand. You know, we're not talking about cyber risks anymore. We're talking about buying a cyber product. And then I would say, you know, we are seeing nice growth also in in UAE, in those in the Middle East, in 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 these places. We are uh, seeing a different type of growth in India, uh, okay. which is really interesting. Uh, Far East, even though there are lots of claims out there, I still think that the buying uh, process is much slower than in Europe. I think the decision-making process is much slower. So we are investing in, you know, in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Hong Kong, and uh, and so on. Australia, we just uh, started our business there not too long ago, uh, and it's growing very fast. And uh, uh, Australia do have the buying uh, history. So I think that over there we will see uh, as soon as we get our things going, I think that we will see growth in, in Australia. And and the last place is, is South America. I think that South America is still very much maybe five, six years um, behind uh, where we are in, in many other places. But it's waking up, which is great yeah. because I'm starting to see um, I'm starting to see things that we saw four or five years ago uh, when the market started developing in, in, in Europe. I'm seeing now in South America. So I'm, I, I think that we will see. Uh, I think it will be much faster than it took in, in Europe. But, but you know, that's, that's the places that, uh, that we're seeing. And uh, not so much in Africa, unfortunately. Yeah. I think in... Yeah, I wonder. I've seen, you know, hints of things maybe happening in Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa, but not. Yeah, I, I haven't just in my conversations with people, you know, as, as always, um, you know, it didn't seem like much is, is growing there just yet on the cyber front. Um, OK, well, so just in terms of. You know, I guess there's a lot of conversation we can have on skills and skills development like we did earlier, but. Also, I was thinking recruitment and retention, like as the market's growing so quickly all around the world, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about it, like just how do we like, I'll, I'll, especially, you know, broking and underwriting. I, I talk to a lot of people that are really struggling with this, this challenge. Um, you know, maybe what are your thoughts on, you know, either recruitment, retention yeah. or developing people? Yeah. So <laughs> it's a, it's a pain point. Uh, I think that the, uh, in in general, we've done as an industry a bad job promoting uh, insurance uh, as an industry among young people. Uh, I think we we need to correct this, and that's uh, not helping us recruit people. Uh, because when you talk to young people out of university, and uh, and you say, well, uh, come and join the insurance industry. It's a fantastic industry. You get to meet lots of people. It's it's really you know. You get to see so many things and you'll have an exciting career and they look at you as if, you know, you came out of uh, uh, of some other planet because they mm. think of insurance as a very boring uh, job. And, and yeah. so 
if if we get better in promoting our industry and what we do, and um, I'm talking about the cyber uh, part, then it will be much easier to to recruit people because it is very very difficult uh, to recruit people in our industry and it's very difficult to retain them. Some of it because you know people that want to come into the industry very quickly or they're latecomers into the industry will say, well, let's try and find people that are already ready. And uh, sometimes you need to protect your people and uh, make sure that they stay with you for the long time because we are investing so much time and efforts and energy and money or what have you on building those people. I told you, you know, mm. uh, we, we call them cyber champions because they are all educated through the cyber academy and they all go through a very uh, long process of uh, of learning before they become productive as such and uh, and we want to retain them so i think working closely uh, with with in my team at least making sure that we work very closely globally and share ideas between ourselves is something that helps me retain people but you you're right we um, we need to better promote the, the fact that this is a great industry to be in I think it's um, a common theme that most people you end up talking to have accidentally ended up in insurance, you know, my, myself included. I think, um, you know, getting better at, at promoting and, and developing makes a lot of sense. Um, so outside of people, outside of the talent challenges, you know, what's a big challenge you see in the market right now? I think the, the, the next challenge for us would be, uh, again, to to find better ways to quantify, to assess clients. As you know, we talk a lot about uh, technology being a part of the growth of this industry. So, you know, when you start looking at the uh, technology out there and, and I, you know, it's a great technology, like for example, the non-intrusive assessments that we use all the uh, companies uh, still there's ways that we can, I think maybe do it better. Lots of our clients are moving now into the cloud, which is it's a good thing because um, maybe we can be semi-intrusive. And if they let us um, see some of the uh, uh, things that we can get from the cloud, then we will be better at assessing. So what they call the inside out now. Uh, and and, and yeah. I think that we we will need technology in order to grow the business and technology. Uh, People in technology understand that the insurance industry is a great way to promote products, and and it, it's 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 something that has to go hand in hand. You know, the, our growth and 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 technology, and there's so much out there. And I I see because I'm sitting here uh, in in Israel, which is a it's a great you know tech uh, uh, startup nation as we call it. I see lots and lots of uh, different technologies that can be implemented to help us in the industry really do a better job in quantifying, assessing, underwriting, claims handling, any any type of process that we do. So really, I would like to see more of that. Well, it's um, I, I think we, we've probably come to the end of the, the thought leadership questions I like to ask. Um, but before we close, I like to ask a, a few, just a few questions in terms of, um, you know, some of your background. So uh, how did you originally get into the insurance industry? Yeah, so I'm 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 one of these uh, people that wanted to go into the industry. So when I mm. finished my university, I uh, I went to London in '86 to uh, to do the ACII, and okay. 
ended up in, in insurance. Uh, I ended up in cyber insurance in the mid 90s because I realized that I was bored with the uh, old traditional types of insurances and, and, and was looking to do something which uh, encompassed uh, my passion for technology and my knowledge in insurance. And that's uh, how I started my career in the uh, cyber insurance back then it wasn't even called cyber it was mm. uh, the world cyber was not there i remember the first policy was even called internet liability which was uh, a, a different term <laughs> i i love i love call it internet liability yeah that's a that's a funny name i, I love it yeah. um it's it's kind of funny when we look at how things are today we're like internet liability okay <laughs> um so i you know, I kind of got a hint of this from what we've talked about already, but what would you recommend to anyone who wants to have a successful career in insurance? I, I would say to people, uh, be a true professional, be a specialist, mm -hmm. focus, learn every day. I still learn every day something new. And if I haven't learned something new, uh, I, I've missed a day because there's so okay. much to, to learn and so much to uh, young people, if they if they want to become uh, good at what they do, knowledge is power. And uh, mm. if you come in, if you come into a meeting with a lot of knowledge, you will feel great. You will feel yeah. as if you're swimming in a in a calm ocean and they're really enjoying the surrounding. Uh, and that's my advice to them. The second advice is. The most important part of your body is your ears. Use it. Don't mm. go. Don't go into a meeting or uh, trying to show everybody how knowledgeable you are and how much you know. Listen, listen, listen. Mm. You learn so much by listening to people, and uh, that will help you in your career. I think listening is something that uh, I wish I'd gotten better at earlier in my career. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, that's, that's great advice. I think I like to thing that people underestimate on gaining the knowledge, like you're talking about becoming a specialist, like there's the compounding effect of it. So even if you learn at a slower speed, you know, you still have this compound, you know, that's been happening years and years and years. And people don't really think of that, you know, when you're 20, you're like, well, I'm going to learn this thing and then I know it and then I'm, I'm good, but it's, there's a one compound hour, there. One hour a day in four years, yeah. in five years, you become a world expert. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, that is really cool. All right. Well, um, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the, on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, and so, yeah, thanks a lot for coming. Thank you, Anthony, for uh, inviting me. And, uh, I did enjoy the uh, conversation we had. Thank you very much. If you want to learn more about our host, Anthony or his company, Aceris, visit Aceris.com. A-S-C-E-R-I-S.com. Thanks to our friends at Sawu for producing this episode with us. See you next time.